0: All right. Well, in the uh, in the interest of the Advent season, I'm actually not going to preach any sermons on Christmas. We're going to continue in the letter of Colossians. So if you will, turn to that. Rebecca said she was like, Are "You sure that you don't want to preach something on Advent?" And I was like, "I am finishing this letter this year. We're being we're done." And Jake has graciously given me the month of December to do that gonna we're going to start reading in verse 18, but just by way of reminder, remember that Paul, the point that Paul is making is that Jesus is king and there is no other. And what that means for you and what that means for me is that our hearts don't need to be led by anyone else. Our lives don't need to be structured according to anyone else. We are not saved by anyone else. We are saved by Jesus alone, and He is Lord alone. So, and that has particular bearing on what we're going to talk about today, right? Over the past couple of sermons, we've seen how Paul has taken this fact that Jesus has died for us and is reigning for us, that we have been made new creatures belonging to Him, and so we can put off sin and put on righteousness. We are able to do that by His grace, by His Spirit. But Paul gets even more specific than that, right? If we actually pick up in verse 17, he says, "...whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him." That's a pretty general principle. Now Paul gets maybe uncomfortably specific, right? The, the Christian life is not a life lived just in the realm of ideas or just in the realm of emotion. It's a life lived in the home, in a marriage, with children and parents, in the workplace, right, and that's where that's where Paul goes now. He takes it. He takes grace into the trenches, as it were, right where we where we live, where we do battle every day. The gospel has application there, and we're going to see how the lordship of Jesus and how the good news apply to those areas of life. And so, read with me um, in verse 18. Read along with me. Don't you don't have to read with me. Um, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change a word. If you're reading in the ESV, right, you're going to hear me read something different but I want you to notice that the word, for ma- the word for master and the word for Lord in the Greek are the same word. Paul is, is, having, is doing a play on words, right? He, he's trying to make a point about the Lord. So here you go. Starting in verse 22, "...slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly lords, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord." Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Lords, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a Lord in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, as we have heard your word, now God, we pray that you would bless its hearing. We pray that you would bless its preaching. Lord, give us hearts to understand. Father, soften us by your grace, that we can accept your word, that we can live your word. Lord, don't let us leave here and be unchanged, but rather as Paul says in Romans twelve two that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God, renew our minds according to your word, according to your righteousness and grace. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the, ma- the main idea today is this, right? That when Jesus is Lord, it redefines how I live in all of my relationships. Right? It redefines every relationship that I am in, and it especially applies to the most important ones. To my relationship with my wife, to my relationship with my children, to my relationship where I work. And that's how we apply the whole slaves and masters thing. Okay? Um, that, it, that deals with the Christian life at work. And notice how Paul structured this passage. He did it in pairs. And he treats the subordinate of the pair, right, the weaker of the pair first. He says wives, then husbands, children, then fathers, slaves, then masters. And now this kind of advice is not uncommon, right? Everybody has good advice on how to be a parent, on how to have a good marriage, on how to work, right? what's, what's proper at work. So good advice is not uncommon, and it wasn't uncommon in Paul's day, but Paul takes some of the wisdom right, and even maybe some of the bad wisdom and he corrects it, right? He adds something to it and makes it submissible to Jesus. And that's really the key here. It's a question of lordship. The Lord Jesus is in charge of the home. The Lord Jesus is in charge of your workplace. And so that's what's going on here um, so it's interesting, how, it's interesting how he does this. It's almost as if, right, he has the wives on one side of the room and he's talking to them. And then, you know, the husbands are probably over here like, that's right, he said be submissive. And then he turns to them and says, eh, here's yours, right? And then he comes back over here and he says, now children, here's, what here's your duty, here's your responsibility. And then he goes to the parents and says, but you need to be checked as well. And so he goes back and forth instructing these key relationships on what it means to live under the Lord. And so that's how, that's how we're going to look at this. First, we're going to see how the Lord redefines wives and husbands. And in our culture, right, the, the, the business of the definition, right, the family is being redefined constantly on a political level, on a cultural level. And the question you have to ask yourself is, who are you going to allow to define your family? Who are you going to allow to define the roles within your home? Are you going to, to allow ABC or Fox to do it? Or are you going to allow Jesus to do it? Are you going to allow the federal government to do it? Or are you going to allow Jesus to do it? So that whatever may happen in our culture, there is a standard that we hold to that is very different. And what it does is it creates a very different kind of family because I think it could be argued in Paul's day, just as it can be argued in ours, that redefining the family has not helped the family. Marriages are not better off because we have loosened the definition of what marriage is. Children and parents are not better off because we have loosened the definition or tried to invent new ways to help children feel more self-empowered or whatever it may be. The state of the family is not better off because our culture has tampered with it. And so what this produces, hopefully, then, is a God-fearing family that is very different than the one that the world offers. So let me just let me just get into it. Let's talk about let's let's get uncomfortable first and talk about wives and husbands. Um, wives, the key word for you is submit. Okay? Um, I see some men grinning. Right? That's okay. You think you want to hear that? We'll talk about you in just a second. Um, <clears throat> this is not something ignoble. This is not something demeaning. Paul is not telling the wife that she is inferior to the husband. In fact, the Lord Jesus was submissive himself. Was he not? Did he not submit to the will of the Father? Okay. But Paul is saying that there is a difference. Men and women are not the same, and that includes their role in the home, right? Their function is different. Jake has used this illustration before, but, right, we have d- two different kinds of glasses in our room, in our, in our home, right? there are two different. We have the turvis tumblers or the plastic cups, and those are used for everyday drinking. And then when we have people over, when we have guests over, we break out the water goblets out of the china cabinet, Right? Now, if you've been to our house and haven't gotten to drink from the water goblets, I apologize. We'll break them out the next time you're there. But, right, two different vessels for the same thing, right? They're both used for drinking, but they're they're two very different kind of vessels. They have different purposes. And that's sort of what Paul has in mind here. Husbands and wives, they are equal in dignity before the Lord, but their responsibilities are different. And Paul elaborates in Ephesians five, which, is Jake continues to preach Ephesians, we'll get, there, we'll get there. Right, that wives are to submit to their husbands as as the church submits to Christ. Okay. Um, now, if you have a if you have a beef with that, uh, if, if as a woman or as a man, if you think that's either unfair or you really think that's something to gloat about, then I would encourage you on your own time, maybe this afternoon, to read through Ephesians 5 and to see the responsibilities that Paul lays out for the husband, right? I think the wife gets about three verses for her instructions and the husband gets eight, okay? And if you read through that list, it's not a, it's not a description, I, hopefully, that you would walk away from going, well, I got that handled, right? Because the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and that's a tall order. He gave himself for her, sanctifying her, washing her. Right? That the image in Ephesians 5 is one of sacrifice and that's what the word for love entails. There's three words for love in the Greek, and this this word for love is not the friendship affectionate love, what I call the one fuzzies, okay? Paul is not telling is not saying husbands have one fuzzies for your wife but that's a good thing this is not the word for physical love okay that's not what Paul is commanding this word is agape it's the word for the self-giving self-sacrificing love of God for his people right 1 Corinthians 13 which you often hear read at weddings though it doesn't apply just to marriages. It applies to all Christians. And the way we react, interact with each other in the church describes this kind of love this way. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not envious. Love does not brag. It is not puffed up. It is not rude. It is not self-serving. It's not easily angered or resentful. It's not glad about injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's the sort of, of love the husband is to have for his wife, a love that is patient and kind and bears all things and endures all things. Is that was the last time? Was that true of you this morning, men? Paul says that for the wife to submit to... Her husband is fitting in the Lord, and you may buck a little bit at that, right? We, we don't like, don't tell me what's fitting, don't tell me what's proper. But the reason it's fitting is because the Lord defines the relationship. And so ladies, what that means is, is that your relationship to your husband is primarily about submitting to Jesus as Lord. If Jesus is Lord in your home, that means you don't have to be. You don't have to manipulate your husband. You don't have to control your husband. Jesus is Lord. And that, and that applies even if your husband may be an unbelie- unbeliever. First Peter 3.1 talks about that, that when a wife submits to her husband, even if he's an unbeliever, he may be won by her good conduct. Okay? So, wives, you are given a powerful place in the life of your husband and Paul is saying look to the lord to define how you use that place. And then husbands, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and not be harsh with them. Right? The the wording is 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 like don't don't be embittered against them. And so think about that husbands, think about what is what is the state of your heart when you return from work in the evening? Are you bitter with your wife for who she is or who she's not, for what she hasn't done or what she hasn't managed to get done yet? Paul saying, don't be bitter with your wife. Love her, right? Put her. What this means is that the the husband puts her best interests first. Right, I put my, I put her best interest first instead of my own. I sacrifice my own comfort and my own desires for her good. Now that doesn't mean get her everything she wants or give her the credit card so she'll shut up and get off your back. That's not what it means to love your wife. It's her best interest, her needs. Can you put those first? That's what a husband is called to do in in the Lord and that's what that's again that's that's the key right this is the house where the where the lord reigns don't be bitter and if Christ is lord we can avoid that tendency to be bitter with our wives and we can love her as Jesus loves the church that's our defining that's to be our defining characteristic but let's talk about children and fathers Right, Paul goes from this most important relationship, and now goes one level out to the relationship between children and their and their fathers. And I think that you can apply this to both parents. But it's interesting that Paul primarily addresses fathers. And again, there's that hierarchy that creation is, that God has put in place through creation that the father is the head of the home. But it's even more interesting that he doesn't start with fathers; he starts with children. He He directly addresses children as people who have dignity and responsibility before God. And he did that in the Old Testament too, right? When when Moses gave the law, when God gave the law through Moses to his people, children had responsibilities. They had dignity in the eyes of the Lord. Now that hasn't always been the case, right? Our country is a little bit different in that regard because of the values on which we were founded. There are many places in the world where children have no dignity, where they are discarded, especially if they're not useful. But God, through, through Moses and through the Apostle Paul, addresses children as those who are made in His image and have dignity. And because they have dignity, they have responsibilities. And their main responsibility is to obey in everything. Everything. So let's let me turn the, the microscope on the children for just a second. And this is primarily applying to those children who have not yet left home. Right? What you want to do when you hear your parents, and I know this because I've been a child before, um, when you and, and all of your parents have been children too, right? When you hear your parents say something, you kinda want to run it through yourself your self grid. Okay? You want to run it through this little self filter of Okay, do I like that? Uh, do I want to do that? Will that bring me discomfort? Uh, will that make me happy? Okay, the key words and all those being, I, I, me, me. Right, so when you hear, and, and you're not worried about your brothers and sisters at this point, you're not worried how this is going to affect mom and dad, your first grid, probably for most things you hear out of your parents' mouth is, mm, me. And, and Paul's simplicity does away with the filter. He doesn't say, children, obey your parents in in these circumstances, but ignore them in these circumstances. You really ought to pursue your own desires at this point. He says, obey your children in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, it it should be said that Paul is talking to the Christian home, and so one of the things that, that is true in all of these cases is that if if, what, if the direction you receive from either your husband or from your parents or from your boss is something that goes against God's law, then no, of course not. You don't submit. You don't obey. But Paul's addressing the Christian home with the understanding that everybody is in the Lord. Okay? That doesn't necessarily mean believers, but it means at least parents are believers, and they are giving good instruction based on God's law. When they do that, children, your, your responsibility is to obey. Not ask questions, not uh, find, a, find a circuitous way to get around that obedience, it's obey. Because that pleases the Lord. And that's, a, and that's an interesting phrase. Weston has, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell that story on Weston in just a second. Once my children get old enough to sit in the sanctuary, I'm going to have to start giving them money for every time their, their names get mentioned. Um, But let me say this first. This also means that that parents, you you are the authority to which your children must be conformed. They are not the head of your home. You are. They are to obey you. You are not to obey them. Weston has reached negotiation stage. Right? And so if you're familiar with I'm going to show you how nerdy I am. If you're familiar with the first Star Wars movie, okay, Obi-Wan Kenobi, anybody following? Danny's with me. Okay, good. All right. This is I'm, this is going to be nerdy. They're on Tatooine, right? Obi-Wan and Luke they have the droids with them, and the stormtroopers, the bad guys, confront them because they're looking for these droids. And Obi-Wan Kenobi uses the Jedi mind trick. Right, that you can use on simple-minded people. When when the stormtroopers say, hey, we need to see these droids, Obi-Wan goes, these aren't the droids you're looking for. I think my son is trying to use the Jedi mind trick on me. I, I will say, hey, Weston, we're not going to watch Thomas right now. We are going to watch Thomas right now. <laughs> so either he thinks I'm simple-minded or he's watched too many Star Wars movies. Paul... Paul leaves no room for negotiation, right? There's not a negotiation phase where the child is to say, well, Dad, really I think this would be the better track for us to go. Like, no, no, I'm the parent. Obedience is the first step. And so um, parents, help instruct your children to obey, right? Don't give them everything that they ask for. Your role is to have their best interest in heart. And listen, that's a, that's a hard thing to do, right? For those of you with teenagers, it's gotten really easy, right? Because you've instructed them since they were little, so now they listen to everything you say. But when your children are younger, I know that's a challenge, okay? And the easy thing, the tendency is for us to ignore, is for me to give in to the Jedi mind trick, okay? To say, okay, fine, go watch Thomas. I'll go do something else. But that is what Paul does not. That, that, that is not ruled by the Lord. That's ruled by the children. C.S. Lewis says that a, that a home free of rule or a home that doesn't have rule isn't a free home. It's actually a home in bondage to the most selfish member. So whoever is the most selfish, whoever has the strongest will, that is the person who rules the home if parents won't serve as the authority. And so parents... Help teach your children, not help, teach your children what it means to obey. Okay, for this is pleasing to the Lord, right? This is the way that God has designed it. That's why a home without rule is a self-indulged home, right? God has designed it because this is the way His relationship with us works. When we disobey it causes strife and discord. When we obey, it is harmonious. And you've been, you've been in the homes, right? You've seen, or, or you've seen the people, you've seen the families where right, one of the children, the, the bossiest child is in charge. And it is uncomfortable to be around those people, okay? Um, you innately sense that there is something wrong with that picture. But it pleases the Lord when children obey. Now, that has to be balanced by the next verse, right? Because all the while, Paul's been talking to the children. The parents are over here smiling like, that's right, you need but. And then Paul goes, okay, let's talk, right? Fathers, don't provoke your children to discouragement. I can disappoint my son, my sons. I can correct. They are often disappointed. I can correct. I can say no, but I cannot crush their spirit. I am, I am not called to make them feel worthless or to make them feel like they cannot ever get it right. That's what it means. That's what Paul means when he says, don't provoke them unless so they don't become discouraged. There's a, there's a difference. And fathers especially, we have, to be, we have to be careful there. We cannot take advantage of our authority and crush our children under our boots so that they will submit and listen. We're called to to raise our children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. What are we teaching them about the Lord if we provoke them, if we irritate them, if we nag them and demean them? Right? If we if we press them down like a boot heel into the mud and discourage them, what are we teaching about our relationship with the Lord? What does that say about how we view our relationship with our heavenly Father? Now we too are we are we are to instruct and bring. Up, our children. Uh, one of the commentators I read said it this way, and I had to quote him because I couldn't say it any better. The parents' duty is, in effect, to live out the gospel to the child. That is, to assure their children that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are, not for who they ought to be, should have been, or might become if only they would try a little harder. Obedience must never be the condition of parental love. Let me say that again. Obedience is never the condition of parental love. Obedience ought to follow parental love. Don't hear me saying that your children get to run wild and free. We already talked about obedience. But obedience is not the condition of love because a love so conditioned would not deserve the name. Parents, fathers, don't discourage, don't provoke your children to discouragement. When these roles are kept in balance, parents lead their children to the Savior. Because we can talk about sin, and we can talk about how mommy and daddy sin, and we can talk about how we need to repent, and we can tell our kids to repent, and that they need to forgive one another because we've been forgiven. Our basis for parenting is not the drill sergeant, but the king, the Savior, the Lord. And then that takes us to slaves and masters or if you prefer employees and employers okay and it's interesting that Paul spends the most ink on the slaves and how they're to behave probably because he was dealing with a church largely made up of people from the working class and it's fitting because I think in our church I don't I don't see many CEOs in here not many, not many of you have employees that work for you, but many of us are employees that work for someone else. And so the section on slaves is particularly applicable to us. Not that you have to feel like a slave in your job. That's not what I'm saying, though some of you might. But here's how, here's how the Lord redefines the role of the slave. Slaves are to obey as servants of the master, of the Lord. Right? Not an eye service. Paul actually invents a word there. We don't see it anywhere else in Greek culture. Eye service. Not an eye service as people pleasers. Right, you don't, Not just when people are looking so you can get their approval, but in sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Paul's overarching point is this. You don't, you don't just work for JCI or KMA or Blue Cross and Blue Shield or CVS. You work for Jesus. You work for the Lord, and your work at all of those places I just mentioned is for Him, not just for them. And I realize that for for a lot of us, that's very hard, because we may not be working for godly people, and they may be working you to the bone. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Okay? But the principle is that we serve Jesus first and foremost. If Jesus is Lord then i don't have to in a sense then i can i can look beyond my boss my angry boss i can look beyond my oppressive employer why All right so keep on keep on reading whatever you do work heartily as for the lord and not for men why knowing that from the lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward so it's not your reputation and it's not your paycheck that should matter most. It's the eternal reward that Jesus has secured for you. And therefore, we can serve the Lord Christ knowing that wrongs will be repaid. Right? And this, this verse is actually not a... We don't, it, can, it can apply to, to slaves or to masters. The point is this, that the wrongdoer will be repaid for his wrong. So you can serve the Lord... Willingly and gladly, even even when people are taking advantage of you, even when you feel like you're not getting your fair shake, Paul says, don't worry, wrong will be repaid. There is no partiality with Christ. On the judgment day, the worker, the slave, and the master stand on an equal footing. The slave doesn't get preferential treatment, nor does the master. All All will be leveled. And who has done wrong will be repaid for the wrong that they have done. So let me... I'm going to pause and, and say something about how this applies even to... Even to there, there's, an, there's an atmosphere of class warfare, an unhealthy atmosphere of class warfare in our culture. It's driven politically. It's driven socially. But for those of us on the bottom of the economic spectrum... We are told and made to feel like we should be envious or actually we should despise the wealthy and covet their wealth. We are told on a constant basis that you, what you have and where you are is not good. What they have is good and they need to share. Notice that Paul doesn't say that. Paul does not say envy the wealthy and claim their wealth. He says, trust the Lord, he will judge. Do you think you're being taken advantage of? He will judge. So I don't, I don't have to care how much money Bill Gates or Mitt Romney or Barack Obama have. And I, don't care if they, and I don't even have to care if they share it with me. Because I have an inheritance. I have an inheritance that, that's not going away. I have an inheritance that was secured by Jesus, not by me. So I can, I can look to that. I don't have to want what somebody else has. Let God be the judge between me and them. And he, Paul then um, pairs that with his instruction to masters. He says, "Lords, masters, give what is just and fair. Be just and fair to your slaves. Why? Because you have a master too. You are not the Lord of your domain. Jesus is. And it's not a threat. It's a reminder. Right? For the Christian boss, for the Christian employer, it's a reminder for him to think, how has has my master, how has my Lord dealt with me? He's dealt with me actually better than fair. He's dealt with me very graciously. So that means I can deal with the people under me graciously as well. I can give them what is fair, whether it's salary, whether it's time off, schedule, all of those things. When I, think of, when I think of this, I think of Truett Cathy and Chick-fil-A, right? A, a company uh, begun and run by Christians. They are not open on Sundays, and, and they don't even give some long explanation of the Sabbath. They just say, listen, we want to give our employees at least one day off where they can be with their families. That's how a Christian runs a business. Now, they may not have made as many billions or trillions as McDonald's has, but it didn't matter. Truett Kathy laid out principles for how his business would run and said, this is how it's going to be. That's what, it, that's what it means for... That's, that's a godly master who knows that he has a master in heaven who's been gracious with him. And so masters are commanded Commended to be just and fair with those underneath them. All right, so how do we pull all that together? Over all of this, whether it's submit, obey, love, treat fairly, all of it is a question of lordship. The word Lord comes up in almost every verse of this passage, primarily referring to Jesus. Because Jesus is Lord, it changes everything, right? Because Jesus is Lord, it sets the tone for how we live. But think also about this. For what person has, right? Because you can read this and it can be very heavy, be very odious to you. I just used a really big word. I'm not sure I know what that means. Um, But it sounded good. That can sound very difficult and trying. And what we have to remember is that Jesus has done every single one of these things. Right? Do you struggle to submit? Jesus submitted himself even to the point of death. Do you struggle to love? Jesus the the, the definition of what Jesus did is love. What Jesus does is love. Do you struggle to obey Jesus obeyed even when he knew how much it would cost him right it was obedience that Jesus it was disobedience that Jesus was tempted with in the garden he looked at his father and he said I, there's got to be another way can can there be another way for you to ransom your people than for me to be separated from you and then what does he say not my will but yours be done he knew what it means. He knows what it means to obey his father. He's not harsh with us. He's not embittered against us. Jesus has walked in our shoes. He knows who we are. He knows what we struggle with. And because we have such a Lord, because we have such a Savior, we can conform our lives and our family's lives with the great hope that they reflect the grace of God. Christian, what, what our world needs is not to see our self-righteousness. Right? These instructions are not made to, to the end that we would say, "Oh, see how much better my family is than your family? Because that's what I'm prone to think. That's what I'm prone to think in Walmart. Right? When, I see the, when I see the mom yelling at her children, demeaning them, I'm trying to think, man, what a terrible mom she is. And then I lose my patience at home and demean my sons. No, the world doesn't need to see our self-righteousness, but they do need to see our righteousness. They do need to see in our homes the fact that Jesus reigns. And what, and what that looks like is a home where love is, where grace is taught, where, where instruction has its bounds. Where fathers don't provoke but encourage. Right? Could someone walk into my home and say, Ah, Jesus reigns here? Jesus is king here. See, all these things are are turned on their heads. If it's just up to me to get all this right, then I'm going to break, I'm going to snap. But it's not up to me. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life, He's Lord of my home. He's Lord of my workplace. And so whether whether I'm doing really well whether, or whether I'm in sin, I can look to Him. I can trust Him and pray for His grace, pray for the Spirit to transform my life and the life of my family. That's our hope. That's what we look to. That's what it looks like for Jesus to be king in our homes. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you are that, that you are Lord, that you reign, and that as we have sung, that you fill the world with truth and grace. Lord, we thank you for the mercy that has made us yours, the mercy that keeps us, the grace that sustains us. Lord, I pray that we would walk away from here with a word that causes our homes and our lives to be renewed. May we trust you more than this. We pray in Jesus' name. I want to say one more thing real quick. These are all very hard issues, okay? And I realize that in addressing them from, at this venue, there are lots of marriage struggles and parenting struggles that are hard to cover or impossible to cover from this point. But that's why we have the church. We've covered some of these things in Sunday school classes, but if you want to know what it means, if you, if you need help in what it means to have a godly marriage or a godly home, Seek out godly examples, people who have walked this road before. That's what we're here for. That's what the elders are here for. So that, I, would, I would end with that application. Seek, seek the mentoring and discipleship of older people. Please stand again.